public washroom strategy lost in translation. This week, plagued with a problem of too many public washrooms, the city closed more of them. Plus, we changed our rules around masks in a way that makes all the rules exactly identical to the rules that preceded them. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 171, where spring is here. Everyone that tweeted at me saying, oh no, Josh Clausen is warning us about 20 centimeters of snow. Troy, you jinxed everything. Did those 20 centimeters come? No. Spring was here when I tweeted, and you are wrong for questioning me. Thank you. It's two episodes in a row where we get to say you were right, Troy. Well, uh, let's keep the streak going. But first, the rapid fire. Edmontonians who have noticed their water smells a little bit like a public pool this week should not worry, according to EPCOR. The odor is part of a regular process of spring runoff where EPCOR has to change treatment decisions to deal with water that now has an increase in sediment, vegetation, and frozen popsicle people who didn't listen to stay off the ice. The 2022 World Juniors Hockey Championship, which had to be cancelled in Red Deer this December, has been rescheduled for August, but not in Red Deer this time. Said Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, quote, This is a really sad day for Red Deer and shame on the IIHF for leaving the city high and dry. When I'm still Premier on April 10th, thanks to the online vote, I promise to keep my next leadership review in this fine city. The Edmonton Public Library this week celebrated the donation of a cryptocurrency purchased non-fungible token book by funging copies of it to members at no cost. Uh, no cost to Edmontonians, that is. We didn't need those seven hectares of rainforest anyway. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation, which acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Taproot recently spoke with departing ECF CEO Martin Garber Conrad about how the philanthropic innovation that started under his leadership will carry on into the future. You can find that conversation in episode eight of Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. And to learn more about the ECF, check them out online at ecfoundation.org. And also wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to check out the Well Endowed podcast. This week, Mac, we have to do a follow-up on the mask episode. Contrary to our last episode about masking, this one is uh, quite short because I would say that the decisions were non-contentious, uneventful, and dare I say it, nothing burger overall. Honestly, it came up at council and then a few days later I was like, what did they decide on that anyway? Like it just seemed to be <laughs> such a non-event. There was no news really about it. Uh, you recall from the last time we spoke about this that they asked for two bylaws to come back related to masks. One would require masking on public transit and the other would have also required masking inside city facilities like recreation centers. That one did not pass, but the transit bylaw did pass. And so now we knew, have a new temporary transit facilities face mask bylaw, and it passed in a nine to four vote. So a couple notes there. First, the rules haven't materially changed because masks were already required on transit as per the provincial order. I do want to have another brief follow up here, though, because we had discussed in a previous episode about how council's hand was, according to Andrew Knack and Aaron Paquette and Amarjeet Sohi, forced by the provincial government due to Bill, um, the law that isn't a law, and as we're recording this, is still not a law. <laughs> One could posit that council could have had a mask bylaw for another couple of weeks because, and this is very important, Bill 4 is not law, 
nothing has changed. Council still has all the jurisdiction they had two years ago. And they used it very potently to make a rule that directly mirrors the provincial rules that already exist. Perhaps I'm being too glib, uh, the city manager did indicate there was a potential benefit of having a municipal bylaw. Yeah, the one and only reason that we passed this bylaw in Edmonton is to allow municipal peace officers the ability to enforce the mandate. If we hadn't had this bylaw in place, we would have had to rely on the police or the provincial health authorities to enforce masking on transit. The other bylaw had some discussion about the impact on frontline workers. Um, The city manager, Andre Korbold, said that fewer and fewer people are wearing masks because they're not required anymore. Uh, He said maybe about 30% of people at city rec centers are wearing them. It sounds like he and a number of the councillors were worried about the impact on frontline workers, you know, them having to ask people coming into the door to put a mask on if they weren't wearing one and having to deal with potentially upset people or, or people who are confused, at least by, you know, the conflicting rules in the mask bylaws. Consider right here, we're talking about city facilities needing masking, ostensibly to keep people safe. And the evidence that the city manager uses is that there's low compliance in rec centers. Now, I'm doing home renovation. To get a homeowner's electrical permit, you can't do that online. You have to show up in the city of Edmonton Tower in person to get that Mm -hmm. specific one type of permit. Yep. A rec center, you go into the rec center and it's a lot like the restaurants throughout this pandemic. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense to wear a mask because most people are playing sports and they have masks off anyway and they're exerting heavy breathing. Wearing the mask up to the counter at the front and then immediately taking it off to play some badminton doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Wearing a mask in a narrow office building where you're applying for electrical permit, that does make a lot of sense. So why can't we ever frame the discussion around the sections where it matters and it makes sense? Why do we always jump to the least valuable place to mask? I'm thinking restaurants. I'm thinking rec centers. Why do we use these as the examples? I don't know. It it frustrates me. It requires too much science, I think, Troy. Probably we use these for the same reason that we uh, treated the Edmonton Insight Survey as gospel truth when (laughs) we had a deluge of responses, which weren't from Edmonton. Right. The last thing about this mask bylaw is in addition to allowing peace officers to enforce it, it will automatically go away when the provincial health order goes away. So probably not going to be around for very long. Knock on wood with that comment. Indeed. The last thing I'll say on masks, despite Andre Kobold saying that, you know, there's pretty low compliance for mask usage in rec centers where it doesn't make sense to wear masks. Anecdotally, I've seen pretty high mask usage at the places where I've gone to in Edmonton. I was at an IGA on the west side uh, yesterday, and there were only two people in the entire store not wearing masks. And you knew because there was like a bubble, like... People were avoiding those mm-hmm. two people without masks. But it's it's noticeable when people aren't, at least in the places that I'm visiting. I will say even downtown, walking around on the streets, there's still a, a significant number of people wearing them outdoors. And, you know, I gave up on wearing a mask outside a long time ago. But, I mean, it's easier to keep it on if you have to go into places to just leave it on, right? So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Anecdotally, there's still pretty decent mask wearing happening. Let's talk about poop. <laughs> Everybody poops, right? Everybody Well, tell the city manager that, because this week we have reduced the number of places that people can poop by uh, almost 30 public washrooms at 18-ish transit stations. We don't know exactly how many are closed, but we know that we're going to be closing about 30 in the foreseeable future. And this was because last month in a transit safety update, a public washroom policy change just slipped right in under our noses without seemingly anyone noticing. 
Yeah, we were all paying attention to the fact that this transit safety report was talking about the uh, the COT team, and this is the one with the Bantero and the Edmonton Police Service, and how the funding that is now going to expand that program is coming from the police. And so it kind of missed this one single sentence inside the report that said, quote, to focus security oversight and reduce drug poisoning risks, select washrooms within the LRT system will be temporarily closed. In order to provide access to washrooms, COT will redirect people to nearby facilities, end quote. That's all it said. That was all in the report. Before we get into any details, I think it's important to frame this discussion and make sure we're talking about this from a place of education. This is stupid. This is bad. (laughs) This doesn't accomplish any goals. Who greenlit this? So now that we have that context and that frame of discussion, let's let's talk about it. (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the things that happened in between that report being approved and and this happening, this news that they've closed the washrooms is we finally got the completed 2021 data on drug poisoning deaths. And Elaine Hishka, who we've had on the show before, tweeted that the numbers are bleak. She said 1,758 people died last year from drug poisoning. In November and December, we had the highest monthly totals ever recorded. 176 people lost in each month. So there is a real drug poisoning epidemic. And I've heard a number of the counselors in recent weeks say things to the effect that, you know, we need to do whatever we can to try to prevent further deaths and to try to turn the corner on this crisis. I don't see how closing the washrooms is going to help us do that. No, absolutely not. I found myself scratching my head at some of the justifications for closing these washrooms because counter to all of this, we are currently investing a little bit more money, not a ton, but a little bit more money in more public washrooms across the city because we recognize the need for public washrooms. Right. And the city's communication strategy on closing these published washrooms is go somewhere else. Not really even paraphrasing right there. That's that's their solution. No plan date for when these are, will reopen. The go somewhere else assumes A, that you are able to go somewhere else and B, that there's somewhere else to go. And as I've complained about loudly many times, so many of the public washrooms that we already have are still inaccessible. They're still just closed, ostensibly because of COVID or cleaning or whatever, but they're not open. I don't know where they expect people are going to go if they can't use these public washrooms. You're activating a core memory in my mind, but I can recall before the pandemic, I was going to a show at, I want to say it was the Citadel, and I was approaching from the Stanley Milner Parkade. So, you know, there's Pedway access to the Citadel, and I had that moment where everybody does have to poop. And in that moment, I'm like, I need to see a show and I got to do my business before I go to that show. Thankfully, there is a public washroom in that sort of pedway area. But I recall to get into the public washroom, I had to press a buzzer. Mm-hmm. And basically, a security guard would look at me in the camera and say, okay, cool, and then buzz the door open. So he didn't have to like come to it. But there was clearly a human watching from the outside. It strikes me that if we were concerned about overdose and about drug poisoning in these public washrooms, those washrooms already have a sort of like built-in health check setup right there. Like there's a guy who knows when I went in on the camera and if I'm not out in 10 minutes, he can knock on the door and say, hey, are you all right? Yeah, they do this already in the Stanley Milner Library where, you know, my branch where we go all the time. This is what happens. People go into the bathrooms and every now and then the security guards come in and they check or maybe they're paying attention. They see that somebody has been in there for a while. They go in inside and they check on them. It's not a hard problem to solve by keeping the washrooms open. And if we're willing to take 
3.9 million out of that money that we held back from the police and give some of it back to them in the form of this transit to coordinated transit safety thing. Why can't we take some of that money and, and, and put it toward funding, keeping our public washrooms open, which everybody has agreed is a big problem. We need more of them, not fewer. One thing I worry about this is there's a bit of a coded language, you know, the assumption being if we're closing the public washrooms because we want to reduce drug poisoning, the only thing we can infer from that is that there is an epidemic of people doing drugs in washrooms. And Sure, I can recognize the safety and security concern. Sure, there's compassion for the people who are risking the overdose and risking the drug poisoning. Um, but, you know, you and your family probably don't want to be walking up on someone actively using drugs mm-hmm. in the public space. That's perfectly fair. Closing the washrooms? We have learned this problem so many times before. If you just kick people with addictions, kick people with homelessness out of a particular space, they'll find a different space. They'll go somewhere else. Not addressing these root causes, which we've heard in the last episode from Carrie Houghton McDonald. We've heard from Elaine Hishka when we've had her on the podcast. I don't know how much longer we can continue to learn the same lesson that ignoring the root cause of the problem doesn't solve anything. I saw quite a bit of outrage about this on Twitter today, Troy, as we're recording on Thursday. This news came out on CTV and it seemed like everybody had the same opinion as us. So what do you think is going to happen here? I think this will come back to council and they'll say, oops, we missed that line in the report too. I did think that initially until I looked at the reporting and I saw Councillor Michael Jans commenting last February on this very issue. Uh, He basically said, you know, uh, there's a lot of drug users that perhaps may even choose to use transit centers because we'd have no supervised consumption sites. At least there's someone that can see them in case the worst happens. And fair point, I don't think our uh, transit centers should become supervised consumption sites, but I think it makes pretty dire and stark the need for supervised consumption sites. Clearly city council is not willing to go at bat against the province. So I'm, uh, uncertain that the city will be opening up any new unauthorized supervised consumption sites. And with the provincial government that we have, I don't know what the solution is, but it's not this. Right. The city said it is expanding, of course, its public washroom pilot this year. Uh, It should be this spring sometime around May. And so there will be 10 more mobile washrooms placed around the city. They haven't talked about where those are going to be yet. And we needed those 10 in addition to the public washrooms that are going to be closed until further notice at the LRT stations. This Edmonton Transit report wasn't the only place where we were intensely missing the point on addressing root causes. That also came uh, from Councillor Jennifer Rice this week, who made a series of comments that, frankly, I found galling. Have a quick listen. Um, So it seems uh, that working hard is not rewarded and is actually punished. And so the message this motion is sending, and then uh, from my opinion, and so we want to send it to the majority of our Edmontonians, how equitable and this council is implementing by not taking consideration to look at the impact on the majority of Edmontonians and the majority of housing business industry areas. I think from that fairness and balance perspective, uh, I just want yeah I just want to say I just want to say I'm, I'm an immigrant 
So I cannot agree enough on how important affordable housing and is to uh, our uh, newcomers and to our uh, Edmontonians who need support. And so I know how much I value uh, our care to our vulnerable Edmontonians. But by heard all the data, I just asked to the administration in the first round and the second round question. And the question coming to my mind is that and our city is still caring for our majority of Edmontonians. Actually, those people who actually work hard and so and paid their tax and to support our city for call services be delivered and in an efficient and effective way. So this came up when council was discussing tax exemptions, which they're allowed to do for affordable housing. And this is going to come back to executive committee later this spring or early summer. There's a lot to break down in her comments. You could definitely disagree with tax exemptions as a particular taxation tool to address affordable housing. There, there are many ways to implement affordable housing and reasonable people can have different policy positions on how best to support affordable housing in the city of Edmonton. This was not that. This was Jennifer Rice playing the I'm an immigrant card and then proceeding to stuff that was frankly grossly classist and quite racist overall. The insinuation that immigrants and newcomers to the city of Edmonton don't work hard or pay taxes, probably deeply offensive to a lot of people. The sort of like neoliberal assertion that only people who pay taxes have material value. Uh, mm -hmm. Also pretty uh, classist, especially in the city of Edmonton, where the only taxes the city collects is from property owners. So that's some real feudalism stuff right there is that only landowners have worth. And perhaps she didn't intend all of those things, but six months into her term, I'm not willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. And she has shown many times that she holds these sorts of views. If she wants to clarify, she should do it in the moment. Absent any of that, I'm going to say these are what Councillor Jennifer Rice thinks, which is a real shame for the people of E.P. Kokunipiotzi, who were 42 votes off of getting a very different counselor. Yeah. The people of Ward 73 and the Edmonton Catholic School District, they were not even 42 votes off having someone different. Their school board trustee was acclaimed. Uh, Carla Smiley, uh, you'll recall, was the Catholic School District trustee in Ward 73 who was acclaimed in the position. And then a mere week after she was elected, she resigned the position, giving no adequately explored reason. There was still no to this point published reason for it, but enterprising individuals who heard her speak later at the public school board railing against masks and vaccines could put one and one together that it was because of COVID denialism that Carla Smiley resigned from the board. All of that aside, however, I had planned to run in that Catholic school district by-election, if only to make a mockery of the process. And I was disappointed this week when I found out that no such by-election will be occurring. Uh, rather than giving representation for Ward 73, the Catholic School Board has a released an official position of, nah, we don't need another one. They had already divvied up the schools that are in that ward to other trustees. We had inquired about what their plans were, and they, they indicated to Taproot that they wanted to make a really good decision, and they were taking their time with it. We asked them this in February. <laughs> this happened in October. I'm not sure how long it took to make this decision, but here we are. 
The end result is they're not having a by-election, and the stated reason was because it would cost about 200 grand. And them's the breaks. So if you are in Ward 73, I don't know who your Catholic school trustee is, but I do know that it probably doesn't matter. That board is not well known for its independent thought. We miss you, Patricia Grell. Speaking of people being silenced, <laughs> ooh, uh, the Archbishop ooh. is going to get mad at me for that transition. The Progress Report this week has issued a series of posts talking about how their press credentials were revoked from the by the Edmonton Police Service and how they were no longer allowed to show up to media availabilities. And this all came to a head at a police commission meeting where you yourself followed up on this, Mac. Yeah, I learned from uh, Duncan Kinney that the Progress Report credentials had been revoked. So as you, as you pointed out, what that means is they're not allowed to attend the Edmonton Police uh, media availabilities and to ask questions there. They may still be on, uh, say, the media distribution list, um, but they don't get access to ask, you know, Chief McPhee, for instance, questions about things that are going on. And you'll recall there was a quite contentious uh, media availability recently where Dale McPhee and Duncan Kinney kind of went back and forth. And I think the gist of it was that Dale McPhee did not handle himself well in that conversation. So when I learned that their press credentials had been revoked, I thought this is a big problem. They've been in the news before, the Progress Report, for whether they are or are not a media outlet. They certainly do some advocacy work. A number of years ago, they were restricted from attending the provincial budget lockup, and the Court of Queen's Bench found that the province could not do that, actually, and that they, they were allowed ultimately, uh, into the budget lockup. So, you know, whether you think they're a media outlet or not, the Progress Report commits acts of journalism, and they do it regularly. And they're one of the few that is doing it consistently with the Edmonton Police Service. So it was very concerning to me that the police would, not long after this uh, interaction between the two of them, then revoke the press credentials and give no rationale for why. So, I decided I would go to the Edmonton Police Commission meeting and ask about this. There's a section on every police commission meeting for the media to ask questions. So I registered and I asked Jeff Crow, who is the director of legal services for the police service, about this. And he would only say that a review is ongoing, that they've retained independent counsel, and he couldn't talk about why they revoked the credentials. He said he wouldn't speak about a specific file. He wouldn't talk about the circumstances that led to the review. I wasn't the only one who asked questions. Councillor Ann Stevenson, who is on the police commission, I have to say she was on fire that meeting. In contrast to the previous one where nobody asked anything, Ann Stevenson pushed quite hard on the police commission this time. And she asked, and Crow would not even enumerate to her the criteria for why a review in theory may take place. So they weren't getting anywhere. Finally, the chair of the meeting, John McDougall, chair of the police commission, made a motion that the police service review its media policies, including what might trigger a review. And he said, quote, I think if there's this many questions, that signifies the need for a review. And that motion passed. So now, ostensibly, there's some kind of a review taking place. I understand that Duncan or, or the Progress Report have not heard anything since that meeting. They've received no communication about the status of that review or anything. And so this week, today, in fact, they announced that they filed a discreditable conduct complaint against Chief Dale McPhee. So they were pretty vocal in saying that they would not be silenced. And here they are not being silenced. I am not obtuse. I understand that Duncan Kinney can be brash and can be abrasive and does not get along well with Chief Dale McPhee. Yeah. I understand why the Edmonton Police Service might not want to invite him to the company Christmas party. That's perfectly reasonable. 
The progress report, they commit acts of journalism, and the Court of Queen's Bench has ruled that they do meet the minimum criteria to, at least in the context of the Alberta legislature, go into the journalist's lockup for budget. Uh, not only that, but that wasn't the only case law relevant to this. Back in 2020, the progress report had a conflict with, wait for it, the Edmonton Police Service saying that they were not an accredited organization. They fought with the Edmonton Police Service. And Jeff Crow, the person who we just talked about, who is the one who revoked their credentials, in 2020 approved their application that they post publicly on the website and gave them the accreditation to show up for media conferences. It's a problem that he's the the single arbiter here. He's the one who decides if there's a review and he's the one that decides the outcome of that review, which is, you know, problematic. We, uh, Taproot, filed a, a letter of support for Progress Report's application back in 2020 for the same reasons that I felt like it was important to go and speak at the police commission now. They're committing acts of journalism. They're doing that public service that journalism is meant to do, which is to hold those in power to account. And, you know, yeah, as you say, Duncan can be brash, but he's asking questions that need to be asked of the police. And I think Dale McPhee and the rest of those guys get paid enough to deal with Duncan for two or three questions a month. I don't see what the big deal is. So needless to say, I hope that Progress Report's uh, media credentials are reinstated and they can continue doing their job. We ask about who watches the Watchmen, but in this case... Uh, we're asking who watches the people that watch the people that watch The Watchmen. Um, Jeff Crow is the answer, and we got to watch him. I see no reasonable way to transition smoothly out of that jumbled mess, so we're just going to jump into a different jumbled mess, which is development along Calgary Trail. For anyone who has existed in Edmonton, you are probably familiar with Calgary Trail. It's this road in Edmonton that urbanism goes to die. It's the one where you drive it to go to Calgary, and it's a big one-lane road. There's some parking lots on either side, some of them gravel, some of them with businesses in front, but nothing without that critical parking lot. Right behind the superstore on Calgary Trail, there's this empty lot on 46th Avenue that's been vacant for 12 years. It's the one with the signs and the truck trailers in it. You know the one. There's going to be a development proposed there. And this week, council saw the opportunity of, hey, this place is literally the worst place in the world. Maybe we can use this development to take the first steps at making it a little bit better. And council voted nine to four against doing that. <laughs> well, they did approve the rezoning request, so there could now be this development. It's called the Ever Square Project. It would be a commercial complex consisting of four buildings. Some of these might be as tall as 10 stories, so it's you know sizable development. Probably they're thinking anything at this point would be better than the empty parking lots that they have there. But Not empty. There's truck trailers in it. Okay, true. There's some <laughs> garbage piled up or whatever. But many of the councillors, or not many, four of the councillors were concerned uh, about, does this development live up to what we expect in city plan and in, in future developments that we're building? Ignoring the fact that, you know, there are, what, 12 lanes of traffic on either side of this parking lot? But anyway, Councillor Ann Stevenson put a motion forward asking administration to provide a development that is more street-oriented and incorporates opportunities for active transportation adjacent to the site. And that motion is the one that was defeated 9-4. to four. So the development is going forward. We're getting something that's not a parking lot, which is good. But ostensibly, we're going to get a development that is mostly 
parking lots leading up to the buildings yeah without any active transportation and anyone who's tried to bike near calgary trail or gateway boulevard knows that it is not possible uh you cannot bike on those roadways um and survive but you also can't bike on the sidewalk because there are none yeah you can't walk there there's no sidewalk this might not be a problem if you're in your car uh but we do want to build a city where people aren't in their cars all the time and it's not like you can ride on the sidewalk to it. There's not even any sidewalk in most of the places. And now, to the developer's credit, they did say, we will install a sidewalk in front of our development. Is that future-proof? We talk so much in the city about how we got to the place that we are right now and how many of our developments are boring or anti-pedestrian or anti-urbanist or not fit to live the next 30 years. And it's all because when we build things, we don't have the imagination and we don't have the forward thinking to say, this may be good enough right now, but is this going to be good enough in 30 years? Four councillors on council had that imagination this time, but they were voted down because the prevailing concepts of the majority is we don't want to make a policy change during a rezoning request. We do not want to require this developer to do something new. We can draft new policy some other time. And I would say when opportunities present themselves, that seems like the perfect time to make things better. But alas, we did not take it. So this is going to be a problem that is going to come up numerous times, I think, right? Because I can understand the point of view here. Like clearly I'm on the side of we should be building active transportation into all of our developments. That's what we've stated is important in the city of the future that we are you know, now making decisions for. So we should be doing that. But let's say that we did that in this case, and they had some bike lanes or some active transportation infrastructure on this development. It's still surrounded by a sea of cars and traffic lanes, no? Like, it doesn't connect to anything. There's no actual way to get there, is there? So don't we end up in the situation where, well, we could do it for this, but there's no way to connect it, so should we? And then we never do, and so we never end up building anything. Which is exactly the argument that was taken in this case, because one of the arguments that the developer used uh, against putting this active transportation infrastructure is that the bike plan doesn't treat Calgary Trail as a bike corridor, Mm -hmm. which is fair. There's not any way to use it as a bike corridor. It's this self-fulfilling prophecy. We didn't plan for bikes to run down Calgary Trail because they can't. And they can't because there's no infrastructure. And if we don't build any infrastructure because there's no infrastructure, the infrastructure will never get built. And we have now ceded this place to the cars. If our plan is to build a 15-minute city, if our plan is to build a city that is good enough for 2 million Edmontonians, we know that we need to build developments that can be accessed by transit, by walking, by cycling, to build a new development up to 10 stories to say that this is going to become a commercial district, but we're not going to build it in a way that aligns with city plan, I think is a fundamental flaw in our thinking and is a lack of imagination. To your question of, is this better than a gravel parking lot? To be honest, I'm not sure that it is. I mean, it gives us a little bit more tax revenue, but it gives us a little bit more tax revenue cementing a city that we know costs us way more in the long run so is it an improvement i don't know i think it comes out in the wash (laughs) yeah you might be right about that i do think this is the kind of thing that council is going to have to make decisions about 
many, 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 many times throughout this term, right? This is an example of you've approved the city plan at this really high level, and now here's where the rubber hits the road. Not bike rubber, but vehicle rubber. <laughs> so uh, you got to start to make these decisions. This one did not go the way of city plan. Hopefully more of the future ones will. Speaking of future, this episode is brought to you by The Future Of. It's hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist. Uh, the Future Of podcast has just launched its third season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you, the Future of Podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Mac, by golly, if all of this doesn't apply directly to what we we're just talking about. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the perfect app. I guess I got to listen to the Future Of. And the way that I do that is by subscribing on the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are sold. I use Pocket Casts, um, so might use that one. Or you can connect with ATB at atb.com slash the future of. Well, that tightly integrated brand segment aside, I think we're <laughs> out of time for the podcast this week, Mac. Another, another great podcast in the books. We'll see if you're right about something next week, Troy. <laughs> we didn't set a moratorium on the like bill for passage so i suppose that bet is still ongoing but at what point do we consider that bill is dead in the water never going to pass well i guess there's always a chance until the uh the sitting of the legislature is done no i suppose so uh we will keep watching that for the foreseeable future until that future comes i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking, speaking municipally, municipally.